This episode is sponsored by the mighty, mighty Iron Galaxy! We make lots of games. You might even like a few. I think it's more than likely you will. Follow us on Twitter at I to the G. That's at I-T-O-T-H-E-G. Citrine Bonifazi. And I'm Benjamin Spelk, and welcome to Remote, Remote Previewing. Previewing. Yeah, Citrine and I are gifted with this power of psychic foresight, and we use it to tell you about movies that haven't come out yet. Let's just get right into it because it's summer blockbuster season coming up soon. It totally is, Citrine. Now tell me, what have you been gifted to share with us? And I want to point out at this point that while what we are going to be sharing with you are our psychic impressions that the universe is gifting us with, that they sometimes are open to a small amount of interpretation. Citrine? Yeah, and so to start out this episode, we're going to remote preview Ant-Man. That's right. Ant-Man doesn't come out until July 17th, so you'll have plenty of time to think about what we tell you. So what happened in Ant-Man was really exciting It's going to be a great summer blockbuster, but you know what I felt that was lacking in it were hornets. There weren't enough hornets. That's right. Now, when I came out from the Emerald Dream, I was left with several very vivid impressions. Ant-Man is a story about a very, very small man who wishes he was very, very big and important. But that might not only be physical, it could simply be emotional. So look for a character as the lead to be less than five foot six inches tall or as many as 11 feet tall. So I believe I would have to give this movie a yamaste. Oh my goodness, I do not want to fill this space with negative energy, but I'm afraid that what I saw was a carnal ritual of money, greed, violence, and degradation of our insect brothers, and I have to give this a namaste. Although I respect you and your energy, and I think that you you are just so enlightened. Thank you. Thank you for your preview, Benjamin. And now on to our next preview, which is Star Wars Episode 7. Now, we have been previewing this movie for you for no less than six years because the psychic reverberations from this work have reached to every corner of not only our spectral guides, but those of others we know. I have to say my favorite part is when Darth Badge gets defeated. It really left an indelible mark on my soul when I felt this scene happen. From the moment I was guided into the astral projection booth to the very moment I was politely but firmly asked to leave, all I saw was wonderment and entertainment. 
And so I was left with so many multiple impressions of an amazing work that I think sometimes happens in space or even underwater. Too soon to tell. I think people will be really surprised by the red Yoda that shows up. Citrine? Is this the same Red Yoda that you saw stealing all the scenes in Silver Linings Playbook that they were forced to edit out once you'd revealed the secret? It's the same one. Is this the same Red Yoda that you saw playing the fiery-hearted abolitionist preacher in 12 Years a Slave that once again they were forced to edit out once you revealed the secret? It's the same one, at least the same actor. I don't understand why they left that scene out. It was such a powerful scene in that movie. Clearly, Hollywood is afraid of the world falling in love with Red Yoda. I'll have to say I give Star Wars Episode Seven a Yamaste. Oh, and blessed be, because I can totally agree with you. Yamaste. Oh, light and love. That's all the time we have right now for remote previewing. I have been Citrine Bonifazi. And I am Benjamin Spelk. Join us next time as we peek beyond the veil of the literal timeline and take a peek at Captain America Civil War. Citrine, can you give us a little tease? You're gonna love Red Yoda in it. Goodbye. Goodbye. can't wait to see Red Yoda in Ant- <laughs> Ant-Man, Spider-Man 3. Uh, Citrine's uh, plagued by visions. <laughs> the Notebook 2. Can't wait for Red Yoda to be in that. Uh, hello, everyone. Hey, peeps. What up, y'all? Hi, peeps. I'm David Flora. I'm Dave Stecco. Welcome to Blurry Photos. We've got a preview for you. Yeah, we do. Uh, of amazing things to come, mostly in this episode. Hopefully not over an hour and a half. God willing in the creek don't rise. Every every season, our uh, cutoff point just keeps expanding. Yep. It's like a fat old gut. Just squeezing out that. We're going to have to poke holes in our belt. That's gross. Welcome to stormy, rainy Chicago. Yeah, it's crazy around here. We got a lot of stuff going on. Had to dig out a dream. It sounded like you said dig out a dream. What's the diff? What's the diff? Flora and Stacko digging, digging out, out a dream. dream. <laughs> That's the name of my acoustic folk album. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about, which is remote viewing. Remote viewing. Remote viewing. I want to view, but I don't want to see you with my eyes. No, they lie. So I'll be in my disguise in another continent, which lies in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> remote viewing okay secret track on our album <laughs> uh we're gonna talk about what remote viewing is we're gonna talk about the history of it who done it what they seen and we're gonna talk about wow really really thought there was gonna be a triumvirate <laughs> it, there it, it felt like a triumvirate <laughs> didn't, didn't win that triple no. crown nope and uh and never mind that does it work we're going to talk about 
some explanations for it. Is it real? Could it be possible? Does yeah. it does it do? And if we have time, we might even try remote viewing ourselves. Yeah, we're going to give it a shot. Super legitimate. All hands on deck. Legitimate. Uh, let's give you let's give you an overview then. Yeah. Talking about remote viewing. Remote viewing is a form of clairvoyance by which a viewer is said to use his or her clairvoyant abilities to view, i.e. gather information on a target consisting of an object, place, person, etc., which is hidden from physical view of the viewer and typically separated from the viewer in space by some distance. Sometimes it's separated by time. Now, and, and this this kind of uh, kind of is in one of those lock arm uh, square dance do si do kind of maneuvers with uh, astral projection, uh, also um, near death experiences, people leaving their bodies and seeing themselves from a, a different perspective. So there's there's this is kind of has a little some branches into some other areas, but what we're what we're focusing on here is really the the idea of a person sitting in room A and observing room B. Yeah, that's a good way uh, to put it. It's a unique form of clairvoyance in that the viewer is blind to the target, having been given little to no information on it. Although believed by some to be one of the oldest forms of psionics, it was developed by parapsychologists at the Stanford Research Institute in the 1970s. Remote viewing involves a belief in the projection of consciousness to remote locations and is considered a pseudoscience by mainstream scientists. <gasps> mainstream. According to the International Remote Viewing Association, despite the viewing part of the term, remote viewing is only partly about experiences associated with what might be visible about a target. The rest of it's about the friendships you make. That's right. Those are the real treasure. It also involves mental impressions pertaining to other senses, such as sounds, tastes, smells, and textures, as well as limited telepathy-like effects, and in some cases, just plain intuitive knowing. You just know. When you know it, you know it. Now, you mentioned this, but here's a couple of things that remote viewing is not. It's not a pure out-of-body experience, nor is it a meditative dream or trance state viewers are always awake and alert and early methods developed five components needed for remote viewing to happen blood of the innocent number one a subject mm -hmm. also known as a viewer this is the person doing yep. doing the viewing uh number two active esp abilities makes sense yeah number three a distant target all right okay so distant yeah not not something you can see in the room. Emotionally that, that distant. Um, number Daddy. four, <laughs> the subject's recorded perceptions. So I guess um, somebody else in the room to to take down whatever the person yep. says or feels. Uh, and number five, a confirmatory positive feedback. Like, hey man, you you did it. Yeah, way you, to go. You crushed it. Nailed it, bro. Oh, so yeah, it has to be confirmed that you saw the thing. <laughs> yes. Does it sure does? That's sure important, does. guys. Number five. At the height of the Cold War, the CIA decided to experiment with remote viewing for espionage purposes, and also because they believed the Russians were gaining ground in psychic abilities. Yeah, and I 
you know, we've run across this a few different times on researching different things. And when we run across this, I'm, I'm always faced with this, this, this fun moment in history where, I mean, come on, you know, like we're, we're coming off the Nixon administration. There's not a lot of whimsy in the white house, yeah, you know, and, and yet the threat, the idea that what if, what if psychic abilities are real and the Russians have embraced this and they are beating like leading the charge. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, all you had to say is there's a gap. The Russians are doing it and we're not. That's how you get anything funded right for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And blam, you get remote viewing research. You get psychic research because of this, this threat. And, and, Oh, I just know there's some general going, damn it. I have to do this because it's my ass if we're wrong, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. At the time, projects such as Stargate, Sunstreak, Grill Flame, and Center Lane were launched and formal U.S. government involvement in such activities lasted from 1973 to 1995. Yeah. Well into the 90s. That's post Cobain times. Yeah, it's in that's into uh, old old Slick Willie mm-hmm. by then. It sure is. It I said sure I'm, I'm just sick and tired of people trying to revolt view what's going on in Willie's life. Shut it down. I want to view it in person. I don't want no one looking in me. <laughs> if you can't view it in person, you don't deserve to see it. That's right. Shut it, it down. You got to earn this. All right. We're, our list of presidential limitations grows. <laughs> Next up, Oval Orifice. Ho- Herbert Hoover. Hey, hey, hey. He's like Woody Woodpecker for no reason. <laughs> Herbert. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> remote viewing has also been called remote sensing, traveling clairvoyance, and telesthesia. Ooh. Just throwing that out there. Uh, that's that's your uh, overview. Not so brief. Let's get into the history. That's yes. where you get uh, a good portion of of this flambe uh, f- flaming. That's a grill fire, dude. That's a grill fire. So it gives it its taste. <laughs> uh, it can be argued that remote viewing has been practiced throughout the ages, mm-hmm. including an account by Herodotus, according to research done by author investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, Herodotus wrote of Croesus, the king of Lydia, who in 550 BCE tested seven oracles to see which was the most accurate. Hi, I'm Croesus. Today, we're going to test seven oracles to tell you who's the most accurate, who can see the future, and who can help you, and who's just wasting your time. You're in the Croesus Center. <laughs> <laughs> You've entered Croesus mode. Croesus. <laughs> Uh, I like that. Um, each uh, each of these oracles was asked by messengers to tell what the king was doing at that moment on the day of inquiry. So seven messengers went out and they were like, hey, what's this king doing right now, dude? Yeah. Now, now, given the fact that they couldn't know to the minute, that meant like to test it properly, the king was like, okay, today, bird calls all day. <laughs> the Delphic oracle was of the clear winner, apparently, correctly telling of the tortoise and lamb stew in a cauldron that Croesus was preparing. 
Wow, it's pretty specific. Pretty pre- specific, and unless he uh, ate right. that every day. My question is, why was Croesus preparing his own food? Right, he's the king. He has someone to no, but that, no, that's the whole point. Is that he had to be doing one thing the whole day to make sure that like, or, they could tell, or at that, or at like that hour, or yeah, or every every single guys are like, uh, he's in the bathroom. Yeah, or like statistically, uh, he's having sex because he's the king. Right. You know what he's <laughs> thinking about? Ruling. That's what he's thinking yeah, about. Right. He, now. He's thinking about money. Yeah. Because he's Croesus. Well, anyway, the Oracle of Delphi. In 18th century Sweden, a guy by the name of Emanuel Swedenborg, <laughs> scientist, theologian, and mystic, was renowned for his clairvoyance. When I go psychic, I'm David Amerig Cannington. That's right. I'm David USA Town. <laughs> <laughs> the third. The third. Junior, junior. USA Town, junior, yeah. junior. <laughs> Philosopher Immanuel Kant, because everybody at this point is named Immanuel. Um, Immanuel Kant was a real pissant who was very rarely stable. Artigger, Artigger was a boozy beggar. If you drink, you run to the table. John Fitzhugh could not consume Wittgenstein and Schlegel. Rene Descartes was a beery fart. He was just too lost to Schlegel. I don't know if I got all those words right. Well, you were close and you had the, the melody. Thank you. Bless you, Monty Python. Bless you. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel Kant rev- recorded an incident from 1759 in which Swedenborg had a- attended a dinner party in Gothenburg. What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Swedenborg left the room and came back a little later in a state of anxiety, saying a fire had broken out in his hometown of Stockholm. He remained agitated for several hours, often leaving the room and coming back and reporting on the fire's progress until at last it was put out before reaching his own house. The next day, the governor of Gothenburg summoned him to ask about the fire, the details of which Swedenborg related to him. Two days later, the governor received official word on the fire from Stockholm, describing it exactly as Swedenborg had. Whoa! How about that? Fancy arsonist. Ravens. I'm calling ravens on it. Oh, it's a ballsy man who calls ravens on a on a Swedenborg. <laughs> on a Swedish guy. In the late 18th century, magnetists, or if you were to uh, uh, call them mesmerists, maybe, discovered that many of their hypnotized subjects could give detailed accounts of distant locations, people, activities, and even inside stomachs and brains weird which by the way if you look inside a brain what do you you just like well it's pretty gray here too you know it's gray gray here nope oh no, that's just a case this, this looks like the universe no it's just gray just gray in the late 19th century into the early 20th century many people were fascinated by remote viewing including a founder of the society for psychical research in london wh myers and the English physicist Michael Faraday and American writer Upton Sinclair, all interested in remote viewing in one way or another. Probably because he was working, he had the idea for the jungle, but really didn't want to go to Chicago and work in a stockyard. Right. Why would you even go there? Couldn't I just sit in my parlor and somehow view it from a distance? I'm listening. I don't want to get 
cheated out of all my money and <laughs> yeah, that's right. Be poor and 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 an immigrant. Did I ever tell you my story about the the jungle? Uh, when I moved to Chicago almost ten years ago, oh, yeah. I had never. I didn't know anyone in Chicago. I didn't know really anything even about the city. And the extent of my research was I read the jungle, which it's like on one hand, you're like, well, dude, it was like a hundred years ago, you know, when things are a little easier now, but it still put this like idea in the back of my head that everyone was trying to swindle me. And if I didn't get a job in a week, I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. Which ended up being very true. Yeah. That's, that's how it worked out. Very true. I became a pickpocket. In the 1970s, remote viewing, however, began to be researched formally. Mm -hmm. In 1971, the American Society for Psychical Research, (laughs) I like the word psychical for some reason. Me too, yeah. Conducted various psi experiments, including out-of-body and psychokinesis tests. One of the subjects of these experiments was Ingo Swan, a psychic and artist from Colorado. Nice home, you know, a lot of Ingos in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. That's a regional name. Very popular. Ingo. Oh, you're probably from Boulder then. Whoa. Look at those squinty eyes. I'm getting, (laughs) we don't talk about Boulder. Sorry, Boulder. (laughs) Went to Colorado state. The fort rules the state. (laughs) The fort doesn't rule anything, but it's still pretty cool. The fort. Fort Collins, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's a place. I, I understand the reference. I understand the reference, friend. Um, Ingo Swan was apparently able to accurately describe the current weather in various U.S. cities using only... The internet. <laughs> the, internet the 70s internet. Uh, remote viewing, actually. The actual term remote viewing was coined then. Oh. Getting into a timeline here. 1972... Dr. Harold Puthoff, a physical... <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> a physicist at Stanford at the Stanford Research Institute and, at the time, a practicing Scientologist, a lot of sources like to point out, uh, had an interest in paranormal abilities and contacted Swan to help him research remote viewing. Along with Puthoff... Research physicist Russell Targ also studied remote viewing with Swan and eventually attracted the attention of the CIA. (laughs) Best last names ever episode. (laughs) They eventually... My name is Russell Targ, motherfucker. (laughs) Targ. (laughs) Like the Klingon animal beast. Targ. They say that cat Targ's one bad mother... You dick. (laughs) You son of a bitch. Thought we were a team. I thought we were a team. (laughs) For the listeners, he made eye contact as though he was going to save me with the shut your mouth, and then he didn't. (laughs) Oh. Podcast trust fall failed. (laughs) That was glorious. (laughs) That was glorious. You know what? And I I had stopped whipping stuff at his balls. I had stopped. It was done. Okay. Yeah, we'll bring it back to that. The whole reason it started up again. Let's see. Targ, Russell Targ. They they eventually attracted the attention of the CIA. After some evaluations, the CIA awarded the team a fifty thousand dollar exploratory contract. Sweet. For the next two decades, most remote viewing research was funded by the government and performed in secret. What 
a glorious scam. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, well, good on them. We need to convince the government that they need to do podcast research. Dear Obama. And, and, and who can they who could they trust more than than Dave Stecco and his co-host Flora USA Town? <laughs> Washington, USA Town, the third. Let's My see. name is Liberty Democracy. <laughs> it sure oh, but you see, people, yeah. you, you, you cut it down, you cut it down. Lib Dem. He's a liberal Democrat, people. You got to see through the veil. <laughs> In the mid-70s, government support for the growing remote viewing program moved from the CIA to the Defense Intelligence Agency. U.S. intelligence sources believe the Soviet Union was researching psychotronics Sukolo sound is such a thing even possible yes it is points replacement and that we had better catch up uh this was based partly on the reputed abilities of nina kulagina who we talked about in the psychokinesis episode. I don't remember Nina Kulagina because oh it sounds my. like a name I'd make up if I was trying to make up a name <laughs> to a cop. It also could have been helped by some of the apparent soul-searching that took place in the American military post-Vietnam. Hmm. Think about that. Just a lot of people going, well, that could have turned out better. In 1978, the U.S. Army created a unit to use remote viewing operationally and collecting intelligence against foreign adversaries in a project first termed Grill Flame. <laughs> it was redesignated INSCOM Center Lane in 1983, and in 1985, the funding it was receiving from the Army was terminated. It was picked up by the DIA, Redesignated Sunstreak continued until 1991 when most of the contracting was transferred <laughs> to the Scientific and Technical Intelligence Directorate and renamed Stargate. I, I, I would just love there's this moment where all of the people are just like, well, it was a good run. I can't believe it worked. Yeah, oh, that was crazy. And somebody comes in and he's like, you know, center lane's over. Like, yeah, we know we're, we're packing up. It was... Uh, Oh, he just tried to view it as they're smirking and looking at each other. And they're like, yeah, you're going to need to leave to go to this building. You're now Sunstreak. <laughs> Wait, what? You've been redesignated Sunstreak and refunded by a different branch of the government. <laughs> I just, and then later on. Okay. All right. It was, it's been a fun decade. Okay. You're now Stargate and working for this branch of the government. <laughs> at which point they start really feeling bad they i pay, doubt it they overpay their taxes <laughs> in 1995 it was transferred back to cia oversight a report was done which found it to basically be a waste of time and money and the program was canceled and declassified yeah that's one of those like okay the when the file came back over someone was like yeah waiting to wait Wait, what? What what are we doing? What have we been doing oh, for no, 20 no. years? No, 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 no. Come on, guys. Dry fuss. What? 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 Come on. See, it's it's an it's it's a responsibility to find the right moment for sound effects. <laughs> you can't just just throw a sound effect in screaming goat sound. <laughs> yeah, we're going to use that for the ghost stories. <laughs> 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 
So uh, during the project's time in operation, Ingo Swan helped train active military and domestic remote viewers at Fort Meade in you mean, Maryland. You mean military and civilian? Sure. Because, so, I mean, they're all domestic, right? You getting what I'm sitting in? <laughs> yes, I'm getting what you're sitting in. <laughs> at Fort Meade, Maryland, and some other key personnel include the following. This is not a comprehensive list. This is some uh, major names uh, associated with remote viewing and, and all that stuff. Uh, here we go. Major General Albert Stubblebein, a... <laughs> You're such an ass. <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> Albert Stubblebein. <laughs> that guy's in the military because he got the shit kicked out of him all through junior high. <laughs> Who was a key sponsor of the research internally at Fort Meade. They called him Albert. <laughs> Uh, He was convinced of the reality of a wide variety of psychic phenomena. He never mastered walking through walls, although he did greatly bruise his nose in numerous attempts. Oh, his poor, poor nose. In the early 1980s, he was responsible for army intelligence as well. This will be a good time to bring up the movie. Oh, yeah. The Man. Men Who Stare at Goats. Yeah. I've I've read the book. I read the book years ago, and I, I enjoyed it. I've, I actually haven't seen the movie. I've got the movie. Yeah. You, you can borrow it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, funny funny parts in it. I, I haven't read the book, so we're, yeah. we, we have nothing to talk about. Nothing. Uh, but, yeah, there was this belief that if you trained your mind, you could kill with a thought. And so these guys would stare at goats, and that was their target. They'd kill a goat. Yeah, they trained. With the brain. Oh, my God. Screaming goat sound. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad I established it before we got to this part. (laughs) Yay. Um. (laughs) That was why they wanted to kill them, is because they just screamed all the time. (laughs) The, The movie is based on this whole thing. Yeah. The characters are based on real people. They're not the same names, yada, yada. That's not, you know, what it, whatever. It's a... It's, no animals were harmed in the film. It's a fictional story, right? Based on true events. Well, again, I, I just read the book, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, the book would be the same way, right? <laughs> well, I, I don't... The movie could be further fictionalized. I don't oh, know. Okay. The, the book was, I believe, like describing things as people relayed them. Same now, names and everything? I think so. Hmm. And as far as I know that, because uh, as far as I know, you know, you know, the people were being honest as far as anyone can tell. So I, I I don't know. Okay. Well, there is a character that he actually starts out the movie running into a wall. Nice. Like just bashing himself into a wall because he thinks he can run through it. I read it years ago. So I don't, truth be told, and I, I tried to find it in my bookshelf and I think, I, my girlfriend gave it to me and I read it and then she's long since taken it back, but I thought I still had it and I was wrong. I was wrong. Sorry, bro. So wrong. Sorry. You have a girlfriend. So wrong. Me too. Me too. No, I'm not. I am not sorry. There was also Lieutenant Frederick Holmes, skip Atwater, who was the first operations officer of Stargate Frederick until 1987. Holmes skip nickname deuce biggins Atwater. <laughs> yeah. Lots of names going on. A lot of these projects, uh, people will will refer to them as Stargate. Mm-hmm. 
because that's what it ended up. That was the last designation it had before everything shut down. So people just refer to the whole collective <laughs> as Stargate. But, Which isn't confusing for anybody. Right. But uh, Skip was uh, in charge of it until 1987. Uh, how about Joe McMonagall? <laughs> you heard of this guy? It sounds like a low-rent Professor McGonagall. <laughs> In the early 1970s, Joe had a near-death experience that bestowed him with exceptional psychic powers and widely considered a natural. Joe has stated that remote viewing ability is predominantly determined by innate talent. And that comes into conflict uh, with a lot of other remote viewing uh, uh, proponents. Right. Well, it's also directly in contact uh, conflict with making money off of being a remote oh, viewer, oh. because if, if you can't run a workshop, if you can't have a panel, if you can't have a, a weekend in Hawaii where you're all supposed to hang out with dolphins and communicate meaningfully, not naming names that cuts in on your residuals. So, yeah. you know, I can see why people would take umbrage to that belief. There's also Pat price who was a former Burbank, California police officer who participated in a number of Cold War-era remote viewing experiments. You'll hear that name here and there. Uh, and then that brings us to Ed Dames, who was one of the first five... Who Ed were, Loverboy Dames! <laughs> who, ...who were trained by Ingo Swan in the coordinate remote viewing protocols. What a time to be alive. <laughs> quickly established a reputation for pushing coordinate remote viewing to extremes with target sessions on Atlantis, oh, Mars, UFOs, and aliens. Sucolo sound? Is such a thing even possible? Yes, it is. Many in the unit despised him for this. I know I would. Anything that brings me to a Sucolo sound, I've got a little resentment towards. <laughs> Joe McMonagall has expressed the opinion session feedback is required to learn CRV, and this could not be obtained when targeting such unverifiable locations. That's true, like surface of the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Mel Riley, who was another uh, remote viewer in the in the group, got so fed up with Ed... A fake session was arranged when they described Santa coming over the North Pole in his sleigh. And with his ever-active imagination, Ed immediately deduced an object over the North Pole was a nuclear attack and was set to call the highest levels of the military before he was informed of the prank. Internally, his reputation never recovered. Well, yeah. When you when you take Santa and you want to narc on him to the federales, yeah, he does a lot of B and E's. He's good at it, but it's for your own benefit. <laughs> Only thing he takes is cookies, and there, there's change around, just loose cash. Don't you know, put all that away before he comes around. And just want to be safe. Yeah, put some cookies out there. Give him something for the effort, but keep your purse in your bedroom. Part of the remote viewing experiments that were done made some ripples and stand out in the program's relatively short history. I'll give you two. Okay. Uh, number one, prior to Voyager's flyby of Jupiter, Ingo Swan proposed a remote viewing session to view the giant planet. He claimed to see planetary rings, which Voyager's pictures later confirmed 
But what he actually said was, quote, Very high in the atmosphere, there are crystals. They glitter. Maybe the stripes are like bands of crystals. Maybe like rings of Saturn, though not far out like that. Very close within the atmosphere. And then an unintelligible sentence. And then, I bet you they'll reflect radio probes. Is that possible if you had a cloud of crystals that were assaulted by different radio waves? End quote. He also apparently claimed to see a 30,000-foot mountain range on Jupiter on his astral voyage when there is no such thing. Yeah, it's because there's no... It's a gas giant. Yeah. Um, and this this is taken from the skeptics uh, dictionary. He later claimed that astral travel is so fast that he probably wasn't seeing Jupiter but another planet in the solar system. So there really is a big mountain out there on, on some planet in some solar system, some some galaxy. Somewhere, there, somewhere there's a big mountain and he saw 30, it. 30,000 feet. And it waved at him and he saw and, the mountain. And, and, and the, it talked to him. After this, the military apparently ushered him to a secret place and interrogated him about the dark side of the moon. Hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody out there? Is there I do really actually, uh, having never been a weedster and never really getting into it, in the last few years, I've come to really, really enjoy that album. I listen to it a lot. Now. The wall is a masterpiece. That's the dark side of the moon. I don't know much about Pink Floyd, but I do know that one album. Okay. Um, I don't think it's on the wall. I That's do. comfortably numb. It is. Um, you know what? What? I'm a huge fan of Pink Floyd. I'm not a weedster. I love The Wall. I'm going to look it up right now. Do it. I just want to, just for me. Uh, in particular, one of my favorite things in, in the world to do. In particular, one of my favorite things in, in the world to do. In particular, I like to stay up very late. I am I am a, an adult man that still enjoys everything a 13-year-old does. Like on the weekends, I stay up as late as I can. I drink a lot of caffeine so that I can watch movies and play video games. And I am so pleased with this, this turn of events in my life. But my favorite thing is to get like when you get really tired and kind of in a weird area around three in the morning and playing Minecraft, listening to dark side of the moon and you're like really deep underground and everything's just kind of weird and you're just mining, looking for stuff. It's, it's the best weirdest place. It sounds like an infamously great night. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds mephistily great. (laughs) Okay, one time we were doing it, and I got really drunk and passed out. Oh yeah, he yeah, did yeah. not save me from Spider Town. I got <laughs> no. now. We've we've gone over that, yeah. but first appears on the wall. Yeah. See, I don't know. I I I, uh, I never have like listened to all four sides of that. Oh my god, the wall's so great. Um. Anyway, sorry, sorry everybody, except our uh, British listeners. I know you guys uh, will appreciate this. Anyway, um. Oh, the dark side of the moon. Right. So. According to Swan, quote, it's one thing to read about UFOs and stuff in the papers or books. It is another to hear rumors about the military or government having an interest in such matters. Rumors which they say have captured extraterrestrials and downed alien spacecraft. But it's quite another matter to find oneself in a situation which confirms everything 
I found towers, machinery, lights, buildings, humanoids busy at work on something I couldn't figure out. That's a good, that's, that's, that's all well and good, but what would Gustav Flaubert think of it? <laughs> <laughs> what would Gustav Flaubert think? <laughs> Extraterrestrials on the dark side of the moon? Oh, that's the Flaubertist. <laughs> kind of going for the, the guy in Community, too. The moons of Saturn. Oh, that's different. That's, that's different. Titan. <laughs> but the dark side of the moon. <laughs> so, so apparently the government had had Ingo Swan remote view the dark side of the moon. Nice. How about that? Now, and I have heard that before, like of the the spires and everything that's happening on the. I mean, what we call the dark side of the moon. It's not actually dark. It gets as much right. sun as any other side of the moon. But it's the side we never see because. The moon is, uh, and we've mentioned this before, but I think it, because it's something that people don't ever talk about much, but the moon is tidally locked. Tidally with, locked. And that means that we literally only ever see one side of the moon. The The exact same side is always facing the earth. It right. doesn't rotate independently. It doesn't not rotate. It simply always presents one side of the earth because of the, the gravity interaction with the earth. So there's a whole side of the moon that we never actually get to see until we send up probes or spacecraft or satellites so so i think that's an interesting fact i don't know that everyone's really aware of that yeah yeah uh uh, the the biggest part of it is that yes it does get sunlight a lot of people think it's this cold desolate place that it has hasn't seen the light of it's like the it's like a no, it's a, it's, a cold, astral, uh, it's a cold vampire. desolate it's a cold desolate place that has seen the light of the sun right it's no less desolate <laughs> sure but you know, the the moon gets in between us and the sun all the time. So, yep. f it, f it. Okay, that was one story. So that was that was Ingo Swan uh, remote viewing Jupiter, yep. Colorado native, mile high, big hitter Ingo flapping like a bird swan. I just wanted to do that. I'm I'm, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> that was non-committal. Second, second story I've got for you here. Uh, second trust fall fail of the day. <laughs> one example of a more recent public remote viewing test was done on the National Geographic show Naked Science uh, in 2005, and this uh, happened to involve Joe McMonagle. Hmm. who's still kicking around. He's asked to remote view the location where one of the show's researchers had randomly gone to McMonagall's impressions are the following half arch, something dark about it, darkness, a feeling she had to park somewhere and go through a tunnel or something, a walkway of some kind, an overpass. There's an abutment way over her head. We have a garden. It's a formal garden. Formal gardens get past Open area in the center, trees, some kind of artwork in the center. This artwork is very bizarre, set in gravel, stone. So that was what he came up with when he remote viewed. The researcher uh, had, in fact, gone to the Dumbarton Bridge in the San Francisco Bay Area, which has an abutment, but apparently does not have a half arch. There's nothing dark about the place. She didn't have to park anywhere and go through any tunnels or walkways to get where she was. There were no gardens or trees, no open area in the center, no artwork, bizarre or otherwise. These are all, I think, on YouTube. I okay. think we can we we could verify if we wanted. We don't. We don't have time. 
<laughs> we were awful. Yeah. We're terrible. McMonagle was then driven to the area, apparently. From what I read, this is all coming from the Skeptics yeah. dic- Dictionary. Uh, he was driven to the area. As he got there, he allegedly said, now I understand what I was getting. That's exactly what I was seeing. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh. mystery solved. Mystery solved. We've confirmed. Did, did, I didn't realize that step five could be self-administered. <laughs> You could have your, you could have, as long as you tell yourself that everything you did was right. And thereby everyone around you. Yes. So that's the history. How about we get into some fun stuff? Oh God. I thought you'd never ask. We've got explanations. We've got trial and error. We've, we've got Gustav Flaubert floating around still. How about, how about, how about just simple as this? How about I've got instructions on how you can do it. Yes. Straight up instructions. Do you want to remote view? Yes, Yes, you you do. do. Yes, Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Trust reestablished. See what happened there? (laughs) Well, Flora, when you need answers, important answers, real answers, you need Yahoo Yahoo answers. Oh, oh, oh. So, Flora, (laughs) I'm going to let you ask two questions. Okay. The questions you're allowed to ask are... Is remote viewing real? And is remote viewing really possible to learn? I'm going to ask you my own questions. Number one, is remote viewing real? Mm, tough question. Let's see if I have that information. Best answer, according to Yahoo Answers, is no. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> wow. Succinct. Yeah, succinct, but so woefully incorrect. <laughs> the best Yahoo answer, as determined by me, is the following. It can be done, but is psychologically draining to do so. No one can be trained to remote view. Certain gifted individuals, though, can be taught to enhance a natural gift. Mm. I do not recommend to anyone to get involved with remote viewing as it can wreck your mind. Operation Stargate was the U.S. military program to remote remote view, which began in the 1980s. Now, all Yahoo answers ask, well, what's your source for this information? The uh, answerer's response is, never mind what my source is. So wow. Yes, it's terribly mysterious. <laughs> now, Flora, do you have any other questions? Yes. Uh yeah, I only have one more. Oh, oh, okay. I want to know is remote viewing possible to learn? The answer is lots of pages. <laughs> lots of pages. Uh Give me just one give me an answer. Just an answer. Oh, you got it. You got it. <laughs> My favorite answer so far? I do not believe humans can use remote viewing without off-world technology as E.T. uses mind control because E.T. has no hands. We are as we are, but life forms vary from world to world and remote viewing as we know it, it is being used as an advanced weapon system which can be used not in the next room but thousands of miles apart and is top secret in the USK. In the USA plus UK, the the USA sent Professor Morris to Edinburgh University in the late 80s to work on remote viewing viewing my info comes from et oh but not his punctuation <laughs> i've been wondering that for so long yeah no and then the other answers are extraordinarily lengthy although this is interesting this one claims that jimmy carter confirmed that the usa uh, the, the air force and the cia used a remote viewer to locate a downed russian plane in africa ingo swan located a, a shipwreck and told a submarine where to where to go apparently so yeah, those are the uh, those are two those are two good Yahoo answers. Well, and I'm glad that you answer, asked those exact questions. It worked out well. I'll tell you what. What 
in terms of uh, uh, explanations before we get into real fun stuff, I, while there have been admirable attempts to scientifically test and verify remote viewing, mm-hmm. to date, there hasn't been any conclusive proof of remote viewing actually working. What? What about all the tests? Non-conclusive. Oh, whip. That sucks. Um, That's tough. That's tough. I'll take a, a, a paragraph from the Skeptic's Dictionary once more. If an occasional description uh, or a hit for remote viewing seems apt to the target, that's a hit. If it isn't, exploit the ambiguity of the description or revert to allowing symbolic connections, and that's a hit too. What? In other words, a hit's a hit, and so is a miss. In fact, there is no precise clear-cut definition of what will count as a hit before the test begins, because in the leeway in interpretation that is allowed judges of hits and misses, there is no way to testify the remote viewing hypothesis using such tests. Without a reliable method that could falsify a claim, one can let the imagination run wild and allow confirmation bias to count as scientific testing. Yeah. That's according to Skeptic's Dictionary. Well, yeah, if if you don't preset a victory condition, then you get to make one up after the fact. You know, you can say, oh, I got close, you know, because of this thing. And you see, when I said that there was gallons of blood everywhere, do you see how in the background there's a butcher shop? So, Do you see how all those people are working are walking around and they have blood in them? Yeah. Well, in fact, there seems to be a good deal of subjective validation that happens uh, or the process of validating statements or signs is accurate because one is able to find them personally meaningful and significant. Right. There has also been quite a bit of data fraud in the scientific history of remote viewing research. Ooh la la and Kel surprise. Yeah, with some researchers purposefully changing or ignoring the data that does not support their theory or goal. Right. Because failing to remote view is hard to make money with. Yeah. yeah. It is not a winning process. It's also a little suspect that a viewer can see in space and time uh, because a person could say, well, this isn't happening right now, but maybe it happened in the past or maybe it will happen in the future. Right. Which, 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 you know what? I'll give you that, that you are seeing in an indeterminate time in, in time and space that is useless. You could perfectly describe to me the contents of a room, but if you don't know where that room is, physically or even temporally that information is I'll do the same thing, you know, and just hope statistically I'm right. You know, that doesn't, that means nothing that you didn't, you didn't do a thing with that. There, there is the thought that remote viewing can be learned by anyone that trains at it. According to some psychics. I don't believe that. I believe you have to have the shining. Well, that's, that's another camp. Yep. Who was it? Uh, Joe McMonagall thought that uh, it, it was an innate power, right? Wasn't he the one? Oh, that's so Joe. Though. Yeah. So Joe. I don't know. Do you do you have like how, how one would go about remote viewing perhaps? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. I just happened to have it already right here. That's just, just a moment. I just need to get myself prepared. <laughs> so if you wanted to remote view at all. And we all do. There are three easy one. steps. 
Step one, make your mind as empty as a rice bowl. I'll clarify. The first step in testing the process is for you to learn to make your mind into an empty rice bowl. That means you need to empty your mind of, of as much <laughs> of as much of the thoughts, images, awareness, and the normal part of your consciousness as you possibly can. Why a rice bowl? It's Eastern mysticism. It helps the medicine go down. Moving on. <laughs> okay, it's fun to do, but it's, I'm not gonna, I can't do that. They can't keep it up. Um, of course, you cannot possibly, uh, of course, you cannot completely empty your mind. You hear yourself breathing. Your boss's uh, image flits before you. Your you hear boss's a, image? Yeah, it says that. You will hear a dog barking. If you practice this over several weeks or months, you will become very good at it. Is a large part of what makes up meditation. Yeah, that's just meditation. Uh, for now, just relax, close your eyes, breathe deeply, empty your mind. Do do so for five minutes before going on. You'll have a black window in your mind to which you can gaze. It is the window to your remote viewing. Step two: learn to keep your imagination quiet. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna work for us. Uh, your imagination will try to put images into that black window. Why is it a black window? <laughs> that seems unnecessarily sinister. Is your imagination a hobo? <laughs> He'll try to, st- to <laughs> yeah. steal the pie off yeah. your black window, Seal. Uh, yeah, you've been doing that your whole life. When you daydream, solve problems, or plan things, it will be difficult to keep the imagination from showing you. Don't tell me what I've been doing you. my whole life. <laughs> you don't know me. Showing you from images when you make your mind into the an empty rice bowl. Boy, that rice Jeez bowl. Louise. More than anything, be aware of the images the imagination is putting into your mind. What? If you see an image of your aunt, she likely is not the remote viewing target. So toss her out. Sorry, mama. <laughs> uh, also, very vivid images are probably imagination, not remote viewing, because remote viewed images are blurred and indistinct, especially at first. Almost indescribable to a scientific professional. Wow. Uh, if you can identify the image, then it is likely not from remote viewing from of the, <laughs> it's, it, then it likely is not from remote viewing the target. In remote viewing, you will see indistinct images, shapes, and colors, but they will usually not look like something identifiable. Relax and empty your mind if something clearly identifiable comes into it. Okay. Wait. I mean, okay. No time. Moving on. Uh, when you do receive remote viewing signals, avoid trying to identify something or letting your imagine fill in the blanks to make something identifiable out of the impressions you have. If you can identify it, then your imagination has created it. When the imagination puts an image into your, into your window, quiet your mind and empty your rice bowl, rice bowl. Wow. Make your window black. So you don't go back. Yeah, I said it. Practice that for five minutes now. Relax, close your eyes, and empty your mind. As imagined, as imagined images come into your mind, quiet your mind and empty the window so it is black. Step three. Remote view the targets. You've done all the legwork. It's time to reap the rewards of watching locker rooms and movies you're too young to get into. <laughs> uh, you will be presented the target identifiers one at a time. Each is associated with a photograph that is very distinctive. Close your eyes, relax your mind, and look at the blackboard in your mind. Say the target identifier to yourself or see it uh, writing on the blackboard. It's weirdly written. Then sit quietly and wait for visual details, color, temperature, touch, texture, and emotional sense. 
After you get impressions, open your eyes and sketch the images or write the impressions. Write only the details. Don't try to decide what the target is. Put a line below the impressions when you're done to separate them from the next set of impressions. Then close your eyes again, relax, and make your mind an empty rice bowl. Brought to you by Bifco brand rice bowls. The only rice bowls that hold no rice. <laughs> and say the letters of the target identifier in your mind. Wait for more impressions. Then open your eyes and record them. You might do that eight or ten times for a single target. Sure. This it. is too much. It's too much. Who's got time for all of this? There's rice to be cooking or eating or emptying. You know what? Let's try it. Let's just try it. Fuck all the sk- the steps. Let's okay. Let's just try. I'll take something of mine, which uh-huh. I have a lot of right you have here. Your things, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go downstairs and hide it in the dryer. Yeah, put it on top of the dryer. I you want it on top? You don't want it inside? No, no, it's in a different room. I still can't see it, but I don't. What if I can't penetrate? She That's a thing about remote viewing. It doesn't matter what you put. But it's dark in the dryer. Yeah, it is. So you have to sense it. Okay. All right, doctor. Fine. A lot of this stuff happens in uh, uh, boxes or, or places that you're not supposed to be able to access normally. So put something in the dryer. And then you can put something of yours in the dryer. I'll try it out. We'll, we'll just see. We'll see how... All right. Okay. How how our Sunday school uh, remote viewing goes? Okay, I'm gonna quiet my mind. I'm gonna empty my my. You, you do that, bowl. and I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, load up the dryer. Okay. I'll be right back. All right, I have placed my object in the dryer. Dave has been sitting here emptying his rice bowl. Scrape. Sides, bro. So, I'll, I'll let you do it in your own time. My psychic impression is that it is a vessel. It is a container. It is a glass. Or a shot glass. Or a beverage cup. It's something you drink out of. That's what I got. That was the... Of, of all the things that, like, kind of crossed my mind as I thought about it, that's the one that really stuck in my crawl. At first... I wanted to say it was one of Ezzy's toys, Corn Man in particular. But then the more I the more I just cooled out, the less the more that seemed silly. Okay. So that's did, what I got. So so you just did you come by this by by seeing it in your in your mind or at first did you I I, I, I was I tried my brain instantly tried to do it logically. I tried to I realized what I was doing. I recreated in my mind the walk from here to the door to the apartment. Right. What are all the things you'd you'd encounter? What were the things that you would grab on the way? Then I realized that's that's not really the whole point of it. It's not like a statistical odds-on game. So then I started thinking about the dryer itself, and I imagined that it was a dryer like an old-timey dryer that had the window in the front, or like a laundromat dryer. Okay. And I had earlier, that's when I was was thinking like about Corn Man, and then I thought about a shot glass, and that felt pretty good. But it didn't... I thought maybe it's not a shot glass, maybe like a tumbler, like a rocks glass or something. But I think my psychic impression, using all of my powers of the great beyond, is that it is a drinking cup or a drinking vessel, something you put a drink in. Okay. And that was all visual for you? You didn't get any other senses in there? Any touch or, or feel or... or- 
No, but I... Touch and feel are the same thing, by the way. (laughs) Too right, love. (laughs) No, but I didn't also, like... I didn't have an image of the thing. Okay. I just had the the, the idea of it. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I got. All right. Did I do it? Did I do it, my psychic? I'm going to go get it and show it to you. Okay. Or, Or how about you just start to cool out and I'll go grab something... Oh, okay. Put it in the dryer. Okay. Save us a trip. That'll right? that'll save us some time. Sure. All right. Now, I think we should re- we should reveal our accuracy when we're both done. Yeah. Do you want some more time? You feel like you're in the zone? I need just a few more seconds. Okay. Okay. I I keep getting a a a fabricy sensation, like a soft, scratchy kind of. You're focusing on the lint trap. You need to you need to focus on the inside of the dryer. <laughs> Maybe that's I'm getting stuck in the screen there. I almost get the the feeling of like a piece of yarn or something, but I don't I think it's bigger than that. Uh this is bigger than yarn, man. Do you get any uh, any color impressions from it? You get you're obviously I'm, getting a very tactile. Yeah, I'm I think I I keep overriding my thought of of something that i'm familiar with mm-hmm. and that's i think it's really because the the thing i'm thinking of is like pur- uh, purple and white and i don't think that's it i think that's something i'm already familiar with this is this is something out of your bag right that that you've brought in or is it something of of mine i mean there's only one way to find that out yeah i'd i, I i'd have to go with something fabricy. uh this this is a guess uh, like a handkerchief that's that's just a, a guess, though. Okay, I mean they're all guesses. <laughs> guesses. There's no defeat. There's no getting around that. So you you feel confident? Final no, I, d- I don't. But I'm I'm gonna go with with handkerchief okay. just for for time's sake. It's a Star Lord bobblehead. Oh, so it was one of my things. Mm-hmm. And I was totally wrong. St- Star Lord bobblehead. I, uh, you had hid for me a bottle of cologne called. Uh, vetiver and rum. I I'm gonna call that a hit for you. Oh really? Well, I mean, you said glass and a vessel. Uh, you said it was for drinking, yeah. so it made it sound more like a, a cup or a, a, a drinking glass. But but it says rum on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said shot glass. Yeah, and 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 this is this is made of glass. It's it's got liquid in it. I don't know. I feel like that's uh that's that's a hit for you. But you know what? That might be uh. A little bit of confirmation bias. At the end I got to say, I mean, having been in my own shoes for that entire experience, I don't consider that a hit. I was never in the Tri-County area that now, like if I had, and I didn't like, if I had thought about it, like I kept thinking in terms of cocktail glasses, because mm-hmm. I, I said those like, like shot glass, rocks glass. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, there was like a, a cocktail. If I had, if I had said that, and then the thing is a vessel that says rum on it. I'd feel better about it, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Closer than me. Way closer. Yeah. Yarn Lord. There's a, there's a piece of like purple and white string out there that I, I couldn't get out of my head. Me. I couldn't get it out of my head. I don't know what, what the deal was. That's hilarious and weird. So. So there you go. We tried it. You guys try it. <laughs> now, obviously we're not trained professionals. Well, there's two schools of thought on that. Yep, I mean, either you got it or you don't. Yeah, and we've emptied the crap out of our rice bowls. <laughs> so, I'm going to I'm going to call that. I'm going to call that the episode. Oh yeah, I like it. 
I think it's a, I think that's a that's a powerful dismount. <laughs> that's remote viewing for you in a um, inscrutable <laughs> in a nutshell that you can see inside of mm-hmm. if you uh, believe in yourself. <laughs> if you love enough unicorns, you can do it. Wait, Floor, hold on. Shh, shh. Shut shut up, Floor. Shut up. What? I can't. I can't make sense of it. There's no. It's, it's, it's puns. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going? I'm going. Okay. All right. I goes. Here we go. Uh, you know, Flora, when I was when I was uh, researching this episode, I found a lot of really amazing historical accounts of people either using or attempting to use, uh, you know, remote viewing. And but there's that 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 turn to it. There's the the uh, the the desire to weaponize it. And this was used in the Middle Ages, even in in siege warfare. Oh yeah. Um, generals would take what they consider to be the gifted people in his army. They were constantly looking for people who had psychic gifts. And he thought that if he, if he put enough together, just marched them almost up to the castle that they could, they could, they could will the drawbridge to lower, or they could, they could just blast the walls with the power of their mind. Wow. It didn't really work out. And these guys just kind of milled around outside the castle and, and they got the ignominious nickname of just the men who stare at moats. <laughs> what a tapestry you wove. Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> right? I allowed you to see and sense the entirety of it. I thought it was fabric. Really, it was just vinyl. <laughs> uh, I have an old TV program. Sweet. Where the protagonist solves local crimes by sensing crimes and criminals with her mind. Really? It's called Murder She Wrote Viewing. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. You know, there was an attempt to kind of cash in on the the interest in remote viewing and and, and parapsychology um in the the 80s and uh there was a show on TV you know, that they used to have people come out and you wanted to you know, ask a few questions, see if these people were compatible. And they were able to get a huge amount of government funding mm-hmm. also. Uh, and so that you could actually place one person on one side of a barrier and then three individuals on the other and determine by, by, by calming your mind, by emptying that rice bowl mm-hmm. and find who you found most attractive. And that was the star date project. <laughs> Oh my. Yeah. Along the same lines, a little before that, a little before that, mm-hmm. quite, a, quite a bit before that, there was an old Russian psychic spy program in which Slavic monarchs would attempt to remote view their enemies. Oh, really? Yeah. And you know what it was called? The Zargate Project? Project Zargate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <sighs> Well, you know what we don't have to quiet our rice bowls to find? Because <laughs> they're just as plain as day. <laughs> Listener Alright. Listeners and lovers. Brothers and and travelers, dovers, dovers, those who train doves. We have finally reached the point 
that we can no longer universally read every single listener mail, which I mean is uh, a testament to your prolific nature and our inability to read goods. <laughs> you know, it, thank you guys so much for listener mail. You know, obviously we're always behind on it. Uh, and so what we're going to, we're going to try to change it up a little bit. And, and if you'd, if you know, let us know if you'd prefer, we, we, you know, did the, the, the roundups, the mailbags, we can, we can do those, you know, um, but in the interest of always making sure that every episode is, is kind of as fresh as it possibly can be, you know, you, you tell us that we're, we're, you know, we're in the business of giving you guys what you want. We'll tell you what you want. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, so having said that listener mail. All right, kicking off the mail, listener mail. There's two males in that. The males are Dave and David. Hi. Hi. Amy. Amy hits us with a little bit of a business marketing advice. Oh, we need it. If she want if we want our triple X mess to take off, aka Xmas, aka Saturnalia. Saturnalia. Uh, you're going to need a sponsor. Valentine's Day would be nowhere without the greeting card industry. She's hundred percent right. Uh-huh. And she says, I think you see where I'm going with this. You need to get Trojan and or any other condom company to sponsor and promote your holiday. With their backing, it can't fail. It's true. It's a good point. It's a great point. So if you love Mysteries of the Unexplained and are also a condom magnate, hit us up. Let's see if we can get some business done. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Who I assume not to be a condom magnate. Otherwise, you know, we could have just. I hope Amy away. is a condom magnate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave. If you have heard from. Adam Wait a minute, that's Lumberjack Nick. F***ing up the breakfast, and the pancakes are burned. Nobody has the strength to strap anything and make a giant skillet. It's the worst breakfast. <laughs> Skating on Schwein. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Well, you did that. Adam okay. Adam says, Guten Tag, gentlemen. Guten Tag. Tis I, the worst of yada, 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 you know yeah, the drill. Yeah, everybody hates him. Uh, <laughs> Adam hits us with a pun. He says, the Guidestones episode reminded him of a shadowy organization in his town that recently started a catering service called New World Orders. Nice. And he says, Bunton like Stecco. <laughs> I, like, I like new world hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Would that be like Rosa Crustini? It would, Crustini. It, would, it would be like that, I think. It would be a little It was something an appetizer like pun. F*** you. <laughs> Attention, Flora. Suck in that gut. Put your ass forward in your hands. Plick, plane, grab ass with your fellow soldiers because the general Aronicus has given you an inspection. Sir, yes, sir. Sorry about the grab ass, sir. The other I can't guys. promise I won't stop, sir, but I'll quit right now while you're in front of me, sir. Don't turn around. It's good for morale. <laughs> <laughs> General Ironicus writes the following. To defend against robot attacks, the military has begun training troops to attack robots programming to take them down. Mm. This has led to the creation of the new rank of Linux kernel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I agree that the scariest possibility is a swarm of microscale robots that can reproduce. Got to watch out for those nanotots. <sighs> and... 
a penalty box. Come on. Yeah. Penalty box. You know what? Ironicus is tough, but fair. He's tough, but, but fair. fair. The plot of iRobot starring Will Smith real relates to something uh, your guest Johnny mentioned slightly earlier, the zeroth law. In the movie, the robot manufacturer's central computer determined humanity was a danger to itself and used the latest model iPod robots as an army to enforce a benevolent despotic occupation. There was no outside influence, but a difference in interpretation of the laws. In later short stories, Asimov introduced a zeroth law stating a robot cannot harm humanity. Even later stories wrestled with how to define harming humanity. Well, you know, I'm going to have to ask for a brief recess while I determine where it is the law was broken. Is that the end of it? That is the conclusion. Ironicus, now, you are a respected member of the Bar Association, so I'm not going to kick out this courthouse, but I'm going to have to see a further filing and or brief. These old eyes aren't as sharp as they used to be. I don't see the violation. I may not be some (laughs) big city lawyer. (laughs) But I do know a Will Smith movie when I see one. So so is Ironica saying that there weren't the three laws in there? Or uh, that they they added the zeroth law, the, the one that precedes all laws, which is do not harm... Yeah. Humans? I don't get it. I don't know what happened there. Hmm. Clari- hit, clarify for us. Yeah, uh, hit, hit us uh, back. We're the worst. See, this is why we have to do it this way. And Ironicus has long since moved on with his life, and I don't blame him. <laughs> Flora, what do you got? Thank you, Ironicus. Thank you, Ironicus. <laughs> Dave, we have heard from, and ironically enough, already met Corey. Oh, that is so awesome. Yes, we met Corey at the Paracon. What a what a great and upstanding gentleman with a strong beard. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All 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 of it true. Um Corey wrote us before uh the Paracon. Whoops. And has some puns for us. Hit us. Uh first of all, he heard about the show from Keeper Dan on the Miskatonic University podcast last year. Oh, thank you, Keeper Dan. Yeah. I'm a Keeper Dan man. Pleasing podcast is half the reason. <laughs> Corey hits us with the following puns. He's got a Renaissance manuscript compiled by a respected noble providing guidance to highborn youths in the journey from adolescence to adulthood, addressing hygienic instruction in delicate situations. Ooh! This tome is known as the Mine Boys Itch Manuscratch. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> oh. And he's got some uh, recommended uh, podcasts. I mean, podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. How about uh, the one where Mithra and Jesus host deific friends in their god cave over waffers and wine? Uh-huh. The boys can't candidly discuss off-the-cuff topics of friendship, salvation, woodworking, manscaping, fishing, the minutiae of legalese, the misogyny debate, and techniques for dealing with overbearing supreme beings. It's the Bull Sting Podcast. Uh, <laughs> my balls! <laughs> How about a mundane superpower? Hit me. The ability to perform acts of extraordinary sexual prowess. I already Bl- have it. Blowing female minds as long as she's rated under a three. Oh, no, I totally have that. Otherwise, the possessor weeps, drips, and degenerates into an annoying pool of salty water. Gross. The power is known as squonk libido. 
Oh. <laughs> I do have that. I do have that. <laughs> yeah. Corey also sympathizes with your, um, you're, you're drinking so hard. You're, uh, you're so far out of your body. <laughs> He, he he got to the Carl Jung episode, oh, yeah. basically. Yep. Yeah, that's... I did. I'd managed to uh, astrally travel back in time, and I tried to save a tragedy. I'm sort of a hero. Yeah. But I don't know if that's how people are going to see that. <laughs> he's done the same thing where he's uh, he's laughed so much, he, he passed out and woke up with everybody staring at him, wondering <laughs> if he was going to fall out of his chair or not. <laughs> that's legit. And, and to end it all, uh, he says... Uh, his vote for for our a fan name so mm-hmm. far is is one thing with okay. a with a runner up. He likes Blur Evers, uh huh. And Army of Pun is a pretty damn close second. I do like Army of Pun, and I like Blur Evers. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Corey, it was a pleasure meeting you, and yeah. thank you for writing in. Highest and strongest of fives to you, good sir. Keep uh, keep on keeping on, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the live show Damn, whenever, whenever that gets going. <sighs> We're working on it, I promise. It's kind of exasperating at this point. Uh, and to, to wrap this up, uh, Sam. Uh, wrap Sam. Up. Uh, Sam hits us with this pun. <laughs> uh, it is true that practitioners of voodoo give gifts to various patron spirits. Certain kinds of gifts are given to specific spirits. This is because whatever Loa wants, dun, 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 dun. Loa gets. <laughs> well played, Sam, and well, well played, done. listeners, and badly played, Dave and David, for being behind on listener mail and bad form. It up. Bad form. Better bad form. Uh, Mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you though for listening. You're you're the best. You're why we do this. You're you're great. Everybody. I pun. I write. I pun again. <laughs> uh, make sure you go and like us on Facebook if you haven't done so already. Yep. Please give us a a, a, a nice glowing five star review stars. On, on the iTunes. So, we're we're getting no, close to the century mark on there. Yeah, we're nice. Yeah, we're doing really well there, and yeah, we're getting close to to six hildos. And follow us on the Twitter. We're actually doing stuff with that. We're getting better at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's yeah. it's only taken yeah. us three years, but yeah, we're actually kind of having sort fun of, with it now. Of. So we're still getting, don't get it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> blurry underscore photos is where you can find us there. You can go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Get a free audio mm-hmm. book. And uh, on us. lest I forget, just as important as anything we've said, a gigantic congratulations to Blurry Photos listeners, Monica and Kurt, who got married. They invited us to their wedding. We didn't make any mistakes and we <laughs> didn't piss anybody off. We were very polite guests. Yes. So, yes. Congratulations, Monica and Kurt. You guys are magnificent people and I can't wait to see you again soon. I, one thing we don't know is if you went straight on a honeymoon or if you're still around, it's kind of weird. It's like on Christmas morning, you get all your presents and you want to go call your friends to see if they can play, but you're like, I don't know. They might still be Christmasing. (laughs) It's exactly like that. Actually. (laughs) Shut up. And also we, we want to give a big high five and thank you to the Chicago podcast co-op. Yes. For for all the sponsorship ships, um, that, that, we are involved in all the yeah. great podcasts that uh, we are in league with now. And yeah, if, it's if, fun. We, we, we have like a team. We yeah. Could, we could play rec league volleyball. Not well because we're podcasters, but we do it. Yeah. If, and, if you like what we do, you probably like uh, what, what friends of ours do like an hour with your ex mm-hmm. or Blastro podcast. Absolutely. Go check those guys out. 
support the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Yeah, I mean, they've got a whole list online. Go through it. I mean, like, there are some amazing stories to be had in there yeah. by some really talented people who just, I, I'll be honest, they're great. They couldn't be further from us. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. <laughs> It's true. So uh, to sign off, uh, uh, or I guess land this this plane of mediocrity, uh, <laughs> that'll do it for this episode of Blurry Photos. And I have been David Sunstreak Flora. And I'm Dave. What a time to be alive, Stacco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you dick. Badgers at the rice bowl. And that brings us to our third and final remote previewing of Batman versus Superman, um, a world in flames. I think people will be pleasantly surprised when Vladimir Putin makes a cameo appearance atop a red bear. It really shows the power that world leaders have in the face of superheroes who are just trying to destroy the planet, not save it. You can not only look forward to amazing action sequences and Batmobiles and Superman cycles, but also the fact that Vladimir Putin has the mysterious powers of web-slinging is a really interesting twist to what I so far have been told by my friends at the Internet Cafe is an already somewhat interesting story. And I've been told numerous times, no more Wolverine for Hugh Jackman, but he reprises the role as he does battle with both Batman and Superman. But who steps in to mediate the conflict? Dumbledore? That's right, he never died, and in this comic book continuity, Snape was a robot the whole time. Yeah. In an aggression-filled and violent movie for 2016, I have to give Batman vs. Superman a namaste, and I'm sorry. Citrine, you never need to apologize to me when you gift me with the truth. And I return that gift by also saying Batman vs. Superman? Namaste.